Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We're going to be taking these last two weeks that I have with you to finish up our series in Christ I Am, and Joe will kick off um, the Lord's Prayer um, after that. I uh, was hoping to try and tackle this sermon in one part, but it's just simply not going to happen. And um, there's been lots to celebrate this Sunday, so we are going to take our time to talk about something really wonderful, but something very applicable to, I think, every Christian's life, but not only every Christian, to every human being at this uh, time of history um, in our world. And today's title is called, In Christ, I Am at Peace. I didn't know really that this week and all that's happened in our news would be happening, and uh, I find it fascinating, and even in preparing this, it seems to be the third Sunday in a row, God seems to be saying a similar thing, and so it's important for us to listen, to hear, Uh, I sense God's grace moving towards us as His people, Um, not only comforting us, but restoring a real sense of confidence, and Vicus's word I feel spot on for this morning. So let's... Read together from Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can end a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amazing words, eh? Perfectly timed. And so... I want to point out that Jesus has a connecting word between what we looked at two weeks ago and what we are looking at today. He uses the word, therefore. And you know the rule, when you see the word, therefore, in the Bible, you ask, what is it there for? That's right. Such brilliant, brilliant teaching this morning. And so I want to just recap a little bit because the two are interconnected and in a sense you you can't quite fully grasp the one without remembering the other. And so we looked at two weeks of in Christ I am qualified for reward. If you remember, Jesus had those amazing words where he says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19, he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Goodness, we know that, don't we? But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where... It's going to be eternally kept for you. And it's 
This big picture Jesus is trying to get us to see that our life is more. Please hear me today. Your life is more than what you can taste, see, and touch. Is you are caught up in the eternal purposes of God. And as human beings, we have a tendency to think when we arrived, that's when everything counts in history. We are the most important arrival on planet Earth. That's how we think. I do. <laughs> Meanwhile, God is at work in eternity. And we are rocking up to his predetermined, glorious plan of salvation to send Jesus to call us to himself and to prepare a home for us to which we will enjoy for all eternity. These are the things that matter. My friend, what we eat, what we drink, what we taste, what we touch, they are passing away. Now, remember Jesus is not saying that they are unnecessary. He knows that we need them, but what he's saying is they need to have a place in our life that's in order. That's framed correctly because Jesus is pointing out that there are two sources of anxiety in our lives. The first is this, is that if you are obsessed about what you do not yet have, that is one way of being totally gripped with fear and anxiety and what the Bible calls discontent. The opposite of contentment is covetousness. And my friend, I have to warn you today, and he's talking to Christians. If our motivation is greed or covetousness, in other words, we are obsessed by what we don't yet have. And if we just get that next thing, we'll be happy, we'll be at peace, we'll be secure. If you live like that, it will kill you. Do you know why? Because what you will have will never be enough. You will work that overtime. You will max out that credit card. You will sacrifice the things of eternal value for the sake of things that are passing away. We must be so careful. And, and Jesus says, what we choose to be the framework and dominating factor and motivation of our life, storing up God's well done and an eternal place of glory, where we receive his eternal acclamation versus this earth will determine where our heart is. Your heart is where your treasure lies. Oh, will determine about how you can see in this life. Can you think clearly about your decision making? Thirdly, what will master you, whether it's going to be money or whether it's going to be God? These things are massive. And so when Jesus says, therefore, He's continuing what he has been saying over this period of time is we need to recognize we're part of something so big. And the second part of it is this, is what is the second source of anxiety that Jesus moves into in his therefore today? Is you might be saying to me, Matt, I'm not really motivated by money. Oh, that's such a dirty thing, you know. I'm not really, a, I'm happy with my house and my car. I'm, I'm, I'm not a kind of person that's greedy. And I can sympathize with that. But the second form of anxiety is not whether I have the next best thing. It's whether or not I have enough. Let me tell you today, in this room, there's not a single soul here that has not known the angst of going through seasons or possibly right now questioning, when am I going to eat 
What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? The cost of living is going up. My bond repayments is there. But the, the politicians are ruining our healthcare system. I mean, you can have every sort of angst and thing about the future. Is what I have in my retirement going to be enough? We are so gripped with the, this sense of fear of are we going to have the necessities of life to make it? Can we all relate to that this morning? What is the future of my children? What is the future of our country? You know, all these things. My friend, that is the second source of anxiety. And Jesus wants to address it because he knows. He knows. As we will see, that this worrisome, burdensome, case, being full of care, this weighing down, it is so damaging to our faith. And I want you to be fair. Jesus says, I want you to be kind to yourself today because Jesus is addressing an issue that all of us know what it's like. No human being is without the struggle against anxiety. But Jesus does not commend it. He says, oh, you of little faith. In other words, living in this way of being gripped by the fears and worries and cares of this world, it damages our faith. Because what it does is it's the same thing that Jesus has been talking about all the time, and here's the connection, is when you start to be fretful and anxious about what you're going to eat, where's your next meal, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, what your gaze is being taken away from is from who God is and who He is in heaven and His relationship to you, to how am I going to fix and sort this thing out? And what that does is it shrinks, it, it clouds, it makes us foggy in our thinking, in our living out of the truth and reality like Vickers was saying. It is starting to make the narrative of the lack and the obstacles and the difficulties of this life so great so that by the time it comes to stand, we're defeated. Now again, I say this to be kind. You and me are like this. We know what it's like. Don't you think it's interesting that when Jesus talks about the sources that choke out fruitfulness when hearing God's word, in that parable of the sower, one of the thorns is the cares and worries of this world. What about Mary and Martha? Isn't that a beautiful story? There's Martha. So worried and upset about everything. And and Jesus is in her home. Jesus says, Martha, you are so worried. The Son of God's in your house to come and be with you and tell you and teach you about my ways. What an honor. The presence of Jesus is under the very same roof. But she's so stressed and she's so anxious and she's so incredibly gripped by this fear. She doesn't know it. Now, my friends, Jesus is saying this in, over and over again in different ways. He says, I don't want you as my disciples to think like that. One of the greatest things Jesus says was, my peace I leave with you. And he can say it in the midst of saying in this world, you're like, ah, but my peace 
I leave with you. And he's saying, don't be like those that don't know God as Father. Don't be like the Gentiles who run after these things. That, that what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? They've got no sense of security from heaven. They're the ones that are masters of their life, trying to um, eke out some sort of sense of security, whether it be through money or possessions or relationships or planning or strategy. Let me tell you, it's an exhausting way to live. Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't you know your heavenly Father? Knows that you need them all. Ah, but this is what we are to give ourselves to. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. As you give yourself to what matters. As you start to see what's really of eternal value. This kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hebrews 12. This royal king that's coming. And our life is to please him and to live for him and to enjoy him. And to count ourselves so richly blessed by him. To realize that what he has brought into our lives is far greater than food and drink and these things that are passing away. These are the things that must grip us. Don't get yourself be moved. That's what anxiety does. It takes your eyes off the God who can and fixes your eyes onto the problems and insecurities and uncertainties of this life. My friends, today, what Jesus is saying is for us in a very real way. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And do you notice he's putting himself on oath? What does he say? He says, therefore, I tell you on my very divine authority, my sinless character, my word to you. If you want to take me at my word, you can take me on this thing. Jesus Christ is swearing. He's putting himself under oath. He's saying to you today, don't doubt me. The one who saved you, the one who's laid on his life, you, the one who's been sinless in his, in his reputation, in his faithfulness to the Father. I swear to you, Christian, I swear to you, my disciple, you will not need to be anxious about your life. You know, when Vickers was saying about the Word of God, this is not something to just be tossed over and say, that's so nice. My friend, are you going to believe it? And I'm not saying that it's the only answer that you have to anxiety that beats up. I say it's where you start, is where you start to say, God's desire for my life as a believer and follower of Christ is not anxiety. It is peace. A peace that Paul says, that surpasses all understanding. The world looks on and gazes and says, what on earth is giving this person such a solid stature, such a sense of security, such a stability to their life? Well, you'll say, it's something that this world cannot offer. I live by a different code, a different authority, a different power. And so, I want to point out to you today that this thing of anxiety is a very tricky thing because there's a lot of noise today around what Christians should do about anxiety and how they should live. And there's a lot of unhelpful noise. And even from this scripture, I need you to know, as one of your leaders, this scripture has been abused and has presented a deformed picture of how we come to peace that will be of no help to you if you try and live and believe those sort of misrepresented versions of what Jesus is saying. 
And so I want to spend an, a little bit of time, and I need you to bear with me here, because I want to come into this text without there being any misperceptions of what Jesus is saying. All right? So the first is this, is that anxiety is a formidable opponent in your life. It's a big deal. For somebody to say, oh, I'm never stressed and never anxious. What rubbish, what nonsense, I'm sorry. Some people are able to present more of a stern and stable front than others, not so. If you're like me, you'll know exactly how I feel within five minutes. That didn't come out quite right, but you get the picture. I want to say to you, my friend, Jesus has to command three times, three times not to be anxious. The reason why he has to command three times is because he knows how difficult it is, not so? When your children are struggling to listen to what you're telling them to do, what do you have to do? You repeat, you repeat, you repeat. And Jesus is saying, yeah, guys, I want you to know my commandment to you is don't be anxious, but I know how difficult it is. And he's a wise part. He is so loving. He's such a good shepherd. He says, I'm going to show you how to deal with this. But it's going to be difficult. There's different arguments you have to use. You have to, like Paul says, take every thought captive. You have to align it to who you are in Jesus. There is this grace that Jesus is giving to us in his tenderness and time that he takes on it. But that's the first thing is, my friend, with anxiety, you're in a fight for a life, for the rest of your life. You will struggle with it. The second is this is, we must know this thing of anxiety, it is subtle. It is so subtle. You know, sometimes you can find yourself taking that. Why am I anxious? It can come through a conversation. It can come through a newsreel. It can come through some report that your boss has just told you about your performance. It can come through some aspect of, and suddenly you're anxious. You're going, oh my goodness. And when you think that you've solved one problem, don't you find another one just crops up? It is fascinating. I said to Marina, I think I'm one of the hardest people to please on planet Earth. Because when God answers one prayer, I've got five more to say to him. Listen here, you haven't done this. Don't you see I'm stressed? Don't we know that so well? The third is this about anxiety that we must be very careful and and, and aware of today. Is that this thing about living with anxiety or tackling anxiety, it's not simplistic I just have to be honest here. As someone who has tried, you know, these slogans that we tend to hear as Christians, I'll tell you one that's very popular, let go and let God. They don't work. They don't. Letting go? Who am I giving it to? Like, what what does that mean? Or, Or these sentimental verses of, Be still and know that I am God. You know, it doesn't work. Do you know why? Because that verse is not even being spoken to to Christians, to God-fearers. It's being spoken to the nations. God's saying to the nations, you be quiet. I'm God. I'm going to show you my authority and royal power. And and I want to say to you, if you think that a WhatsApp banner or, you know, a sort of let go, let God, it doesn't work. No, my friend. Fighting this thing of anxiety, you can't even command it away. You can't say, just stop it. Anyone tried that? <laughs> Snap out of it. I want to tell you, you want the worst thing you do to your marriage. If your spouse is being anxious about something, just stop it. <laughs> the reason why I know is because Marina is the one who often has to put me to that. Matthew, it doesn't help. And the worst thing is if you tell somebody to do that, they feel more anxious because they still feel anxious. Goodness me. 
No, my friends, this thing, it, you notice Jesus, he said, you have to think. You have to look at the facts. You have to know the truth. You have to apply it. Like Vicar says, you have to take out that sort of truth. You have to learn how to apply what you know to be true in the sight of God. But more than this, I want to say to you, tackling anxiety is not denial. You know, you, some Christians can live like this. You, when you spend time with them, do you live on the same planet? Do you watch the same news channels? Everything is just happy all the day. I tell you today, my friends, and I can, I can look like we can bury our heads so far in the ground and think that's how we run from anxiety. Our faith looks at facts and is still not fearful. We don't run like the monks did. That was their big mistake. Like, I have to get out of the world so I'm not anxious so I can focus and pray to God. What nonsense. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Do you know why? Because sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What a silly thing to do is you're in the thick of it. You have to face life. You've got people that you've got conflicts and emails and bills to pay. You've got children that are driving you crazy. You've got a spouse that's less than perfect. And then you see that you're less than perfect in your own response to the spouse. I mean, life is just full of trouble. Economic pressure, this thing of escapism and running away from the reality of life, what foolishness. Jesus says here, don't you know, you're going to have to live in the world, but I'm going to show you how, and I'm going to show you how to overcome it. What about this? You know, tackling anxiety, and I don't mean to be unfair, but there is a stream, and I come from the stream, so I just wanted you to hear that, is that when tackling anxiety, there can be such a super spiritual approach. What do I mean by that? is you get the kind of Christian who reads this verse and, and uses it as justification for never holding down a regular job. Never quite taking responsibility for their life. Never thinking about the future and stewarding what God has entrusted to their care for the sake of their family, for the sake of their spouses, for the sake of their colleagues and their friends. You get some Christians that go, no, well, this is the text, Matt. This is the text that God is going to drop down food from heaven and I don't have to think about working or being responsible or, or taking up the call to as a mom or as a dad or as a husband, as a wife, or as a, as a colleague, as a friend, as a, as, a, as a citizen of society. This is Jesus' example that God is just going to supply my needs and so I don't really have to think about being responsible. Responsible. No, my friends, the very first example that Jesus uses, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Have you ever seen how hard a bird works? They're not sitting on the telephone pole going, hum, 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 more seed, Lord, more seed. They are out there. I mean, they're almost, they're almost, they're exhausting. They're, they're picking the ground and they find the worm and they find the seed. God is supplying it all, but is it coming with a passivity? Even manna, I want to point out to you today, it was profound when I read it in the book of, the old, um, of Exodus. There, this manna comes down from heaven. They had to beat it. They had to mash it. They had to boil it. What a lot of work to give, to do with something that's given to us freely. I also want to point out something else to you. Do you know that manna was only meant for a season? The second that they got to God's purpose in the promised land, that manna was going to stop. They would have to plant. They would have to sow. They'd have to water and they would have to reap. And they'd have to develop a responsible lifestyle of stewardship of what God had given them. Ah, oh, but I tell you what, it's a glorious thing. Are there moments and seasons when God supernaturally comes through? Amen and yes. They are the wonderful things that I treasure in my life. But I tell you what, if you think that is the lifestyle 
of the way God calls you to live, my friend, you are forsaking your Christian responsibility, not only to your faith, but to the ones you love. And I want to point out to you today that that's our model. Paul had to do tent making when the church couldn't afford him. Paul said to these super spiritual Christians, who, Thessalonians, who are waiting for the second coming, I don't want you to misunderstand me. We are to think about heaven a lot, but how does heaven shape earth? Don't leave earth out of it. I want you to be very clear today that you can be so enamored with heaven, but be of no use on earth. Are you with me? Don't worry about the movement. Focus on the word. Because my friend today, you need to know that God is calling you to take up the role and responsibilities that have been ordained by him. So, not to be careless or neglectful. But the other thing I want to point out to you today, which is important, and I, I don't want you to misunderstand Jesus, in that Jesus is not talking about every kind of anxiety here. So I don't really understand that. Well, let me explain it to you like this, and please hear me on this, because I don't want you to go away from this room misunderstanding me. Jesus is saying this kind of anxiety is linked to specific facts. Food, drink, clothing. Where is it going to come from? Where's my job? There is a fearfulness, there's an anxiety, there's a care that is linked to a concrete fear of lack. This is not an irrational anxiety. Let me explain it to you in a moment. It's very important because I don't want you to think that one size fits all when you're tackling anxiety in your life. Can I say if you're a small group leader or a mom or a dad or a friend, when someone starts to share about how anxious they are about something, you have to think very carefully about what's at play here. Because sometimes anxiety is not always sin. It's not always a lack of understanding about who God is. Sometimes anxiety has a physical cause, not spiritual. I'll explain to you what happened to my mom. She got a virus that infected her thyroid, and it led to that thyroid going crazy. And one of the signs of an overactive thyroid is extreme anxiety, palpitations, your literally your, your your metabolism. There was no sin there. It was an underlying medical condition that my mom had to journey through and receive treatment for. That went away. Some medication, as a pharmacist, I'll tell you now, it causes anxiety. Some stimulants. You're drinking too much caffeine. It's happened to me. I'm to, I'm living proof as a parent with young kids. On my eighth cup, I'm like, <laughs> no. I'll pray for you afterwards. <laughs> it's just you haven't got to live a left because that's why. The reality is this is that, so can I just point out to you guys, sometimes there are medical conditions that cause us to have this general pervasive anxiety. You can't understand why it's there. You don't know how to link it through the reality of your concrete experience. It is gripping you. It is, you, you almost fall out of control. Sometimes that is a medical problem. And as a pastor, as a friend, as a counselor, as a small group leader, as a, as a Christian brother or sister, when somebody is coming to you, you must figure out what is at play here. Is it a thought process or is there actually an underlying condition that needs medical help? And that is not to put any stigma to it. It is being responsible of applying the right treatment 
to the right diagnosis. Sometimes it is exhaustion. You need a holiday. That's what you need. I tell you, my sabbatical's coming up. I know that there are aspects to my thinking that rest alone is going to fix. So these things, my friends, we must not be super spiritual to the point of going, we are in these physical bodies that are under tremendous strain of aging and pressure and stress and genetics. And we must be careful about how we stew that. I don't think I can get clearer than that, but did everybody hear me? It's important. And then I want to quickly leave you with the first great tool that God gives us. We'll tackle it next and how to tackle anxiety. But I just want to point out to you, there is one thing that you can be certain of in all of this, is that if there is an anxiety about your life and your future and how things are going to work out in terms of the necessities for life, you can be guaranteed that's not from God. And the reason why I say it is because you have to address it as not coming from him. That's Jesus' point three times. He says, don't be anxious. And if you just sit there and let it grip your soul, my friend, that passivity is not obedience to Christ because it is around this aspect of, is God going to provide? Is God going to see to it? No, no. If there is anxiety around that, that's what Jesus calls little faith, is that there is a disconnect between who we know God to be and how we are applying that to our reality. Are you with me? And so I say, this is the greatest opportunity. If you're like me and you struggle with just being a sense of conscious, being anxiety, being anxious about stuff in general, I want to say to you, it is the greatest opportunity for you to grow. You might say, gosh, I really struggle with this area. Some people don't even struggle as much. I want to say to you, when Jesus says, oh, you have little faith, he's saying in that portion, I'm going to teach you how to apply your faith. And the way we grow is learning to apply what we know to be true about who God is and who we are in Him. And that, my friend, is the pathway to maturity. Don't be intimidated by it. See it as training. And so what I want to leave you with today is Jesus' first masterclass argument, reasoning, gripping us to say, why should we not be anxious about our lives in this world? And it comes up here. Maurice, want to pop up the last, the last slide for me? It says here, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. There it is. There's his first argument. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What is Jesus saying here? He says, you have to start by coming at anxiety, not with the details. And that's what we do. How am I going to fix this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to save? I'm going to, do this? I'm going to have a game plan. I want to know how I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to have peace. He doesn't even start how God is going to provide. He starts with saying there are certain objectionable, objective facts that you build your life on. And the first fact is this. Don't you know the great thing is that God has given you life? That you did not choose the day of your birth, nor the random, even it was a random sexual act that, that produced this conception. You might think that you are a mistake, my friend. You are not. God ordained that your life would be miraculously produced through your mom's womb. Let that sink in just a moment. You start big. You understand that this God summoned you into this universe. He summoned your eternal soul. He says, by my will, you exist. And then he says, well, how silly it is then to say, if God could give you this miracle of life, that he's going to forget to feed you? 
Let's just think about it for a moment. It's like saying, Howie, beautifully made. There he is. Give you life. Uh, thank you. <laughs> beautifully made. And Howie drops dead and God says from him, oops, I forgot to feed him. What is broccoli and co- well, my, my, my little girl doesn't live off that anyway. What is, what is yogurts and provitas and these things that sustain life? Really, when God has deposited an eternal soul, he has even chosen you in your mom's womb. He put you together perfectly. This body, it's much more than clothing. It is a marvel to science, the way that you think, the color of your hair, the way that you have all these opportunities of being able to live in this body. He says, don't you think it's, if God did such a wonderful work, is he going to forget to clothe you? Oops, dropped dead from, from the cold. Oh, dear. No, my friends, the way that you start to see, well, this is really is little faith to think like this, is to start to know your life has been handmade by the God of heaven. What a joy. And to know further than that, can I put it in a different terms, is to know that your life came into this world with purpose. The greatest lie is to think that you're just a random act of sex. The greatest lie is to think some random atoms came together in the universe and forged this complex, incredibly designed, perfectly timed human life. Wow, Jesus says, when you start to think like this, then you realize you are not an accident, my friend. You were born, not only physically, but spiritually in Jesus Christ for a purpose and a plan that was set before the foundation of the world. Is some food going to stop that? Is some lack of clothing going to stop? Is fear of these things going to overrule the God who ordained your life? How can it be? How can it be? It's impossible. Why could Paul say we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus? We can face nakedness, famine, sword, these things that threaten the very existence of our life. And we look at them and we say, we will not be anxious. Do you know why he said it? Because God will not let one day of your life be robbed. Every single day of your life, it is written in the book. You might be fearing cancer. You might be going through some disease. Am I going to make it? I'm praying. Is there going to be some healing? I want to tell you, I will guarantee you one thing. That until you have done what God has called you into this world to do, you will not be robbed of a single day. You look at our governments and whatever else, the world is in such a mess. It's, never, it's always been like this. Let me tell you, we live in much better times and happier times than we were 2,000 years ago. But I want to point out this. Is don't you know, the very fact that there's a church... The very fact that you are alive today, worshiping in this place, is because God has an intention and a purpose and plan, and we are grafted into that. And your life is not an accident or mistake. I don't care what your parents said to you. I don't know how many hurtful things they said. I don't even care if you're an orphan. You never knew your parents. I tell you one is your God, in, your Father in heaven, that in Christ saying to you, I made you, I formed you, and I fashioned you for me. And until I'm done with that purpose, no one's going to touch you. Isn't amazing? There's Jesus. There he is. He's, he's wanting to be, I think it's his own town in Nazareth. They wanted to cast him off a cliff. Jesus just walks through the crowds. It's not his time. Don't be anxious. God who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. Don't be anxious. 
Paul might say, there might be times, Timothy, where you and I have to be content with just food and clothing. No house, no pension, no, no guarantee. Of, but there might be times where God is saying, do you need to be content? But don't you worry. Don't you worry. No matter what the season of the soul, no matter what the season of circumstance brings into your life, you have been birthed with a purpose. And for God not to feed you and clothe you and to give you drink and to give you the health you need to achieve it would be a violation of his commitment to you as your father. Doesn't the Father in heaven take responsibility for his children? Absolutely. Doesn't the Father in heaven integrally involved in their birthing process, in the whole process of bringing them to adult maturity? God is saying to you today, don't you worry about it. If I've got work for you to do, I'm going to give you the needs to do it. Don't be anxious. My friend, that's how you start to tackle this anxiety. God has not given you any answers of how he's going to do it, but he's guaranteeing you this. Fix your eyes on him. That's your source of confidence. The one who made you is able to sustain you. And not a hair on your head is going to be touched outside of his sovereign hand and plan for your life. What a way to live. And can I say to you today, This is why we preach the gospel to you today. You might not know God. You might think I'm here by accident. You might think, what is the point of my life? I just want to point out to you, my friend, today you have been designed, handmade for Jesus. And you are not here by accident. You are here because a God called you forth, put a soul inside of you, gave you the dignity of being made in his image, And he's calling you to say, I'm the one who's made you, and I'm calling you to Jesus now. Come to him. Come to him. You belong to him. What is his purpose for you if you don't yet know Christ? I'll tell you what his purpose is now, is that you come to a saving knowledge of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That what these ladies represented today in baptism becomes your story of saying, look at what God has done in me. Come. Is there any better way to live? How's it going? You trying to be in control of your life. How's that going? Are you the better for it? Can you add a single hour? We're going to get to that. Are you in a healthier space? Are those wrinkles less? Is that heartbeat lower? Let me tell you now. You want to take on responsibility for what God has said he will do for you? Good luck. How much longer are you going to run around? Why not make coming to Christ now? Responding to the call of God. You were made for him.